first of all, just reciting the challenges that are before us, are we preparing for them? You know, I think when somebody goes into the military, what do they do? The first thing they do, they send them off to boot camp and they spend six weeks there going through the rigors of anticipating the harshness of war and the requirements that you will need to have personally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally to prepare for that. The thing for me is how much can we learn from people like that and prepare for those years, even ourselves, by learning from people ahead of us and around us. From his past positions as an executive director to that of a seasoned pastor and now retired, Dr. Hal Habecker discusses how to finish well and that you are never finished with the art of living and giving. Hal draws on the lessons he's learned from mature people who have spoken into his life. So let's dive right back into the conversation with your host and the senior editor, Robert J. LaCosta, right here on part two of this two-part series with guest Dr. Hal Habecker, right here on The Age Sage. I know a lot of younger people don't want to look toward the Bible for answers. I understand that. They haven't necessarily grown up in that culture. But to discount the treasures of the church, maybe right in their neighborhood, I just feel they're missing out. Let me come into that description from the back door, so to speak. I think one of the things older people can and should do is tell their stories to younger people, not stories where I'm going to tell you a story where you should learn from me. I'm thinking just telling your story in in the presence of young people, telling your story of pain, telling your story of how God worked for their lessons out of how God deals with you that other people can learn and should learn. Now, a, a long, a big picture, isn't that the whole story of the Bible? We read stories in the Bible from Genesis 1 through Revelation 22 Stories of how people have trusted God and had to trust God at every decade of their life. You can see young people. You can see older people. So where do young people see the older people's stories in the church today? Now, let me give you a personal example. One of the most powerful things that ever happened to me, I was a young man teaching a group of doctors. I was 27, 28, and I was teaching through Joshua in all the conquest. And an older gentleman raised his hand in the back he must have been, I was 20, he was probably in his early 60s. He, he said, he raised his hand, and I said, yes, sir. And he says, Hal, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He said, did you ever fight in a war? Well, I thought, no, sir. I've never been in a war. I never was drafted. I never had to go to Vietnam, anything like that. He said, well, let me tell you a story. He said, I was on D-Day. I was a medic on D-Day. And I lived through World War II. And when you describe all of these battles in Joshua, he said, you know, you've just gone through them like it's an academic discussion. Here's a battle. Here's a battle. Here's a battle. Here's a battle. But I don't listen to it that way. What I see are fathers dying. I see sons dying. I see relatives dying. I see body parts flying all over the place because they were fought with swords and spears. I said, I see a mass of blood, everything. And he said, that's what I saw in World War II. He said, just be sensitive as you're teaching through this book. You see what I see. And he stopped. And I was so moved and so, I don't want he didn't mean it as a rebuke at all. It was a story. His story. It was a story. And I was spellbound by his story. And, you know, that story happened almost 50 years ago for me. And I still live with that story in my mind 
every time I read the scriptures. What's going on here? What's happening? I'm not just teaching a concept here. I'm teaching life here. And Jesus and God is teaching me life. So what am I learning? Okay, so my point is we as older people need to be able to figure out ways to tell those, tell our stories to our grown kids, our grandkids. It's not as if we just want to dump a lot of information on them and look at your grandfather, look at your dad. No, what are the stories of pain out of my own life? And what that doctor was telling me that day was a story out of his own life that was so instructive for me. And he really befriended me, and he really encouraged me. But I think that's the way older people ought to be with younger people. What can we do to build a relationship out of which we can share our stories of God's faithfulness to us, which will make all the difference in the world? And as a young person, I would say, I want to listen to those kind of stories. I, I need to hear those in my own life. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. There's a movie out uh, with a fantastic uh, actor, uh, Anthony, I can't remember his name. He's a fantastic actor. It's called Armageddon. It's it's about a, a, a coming-of-age story in Queens, New York, um, probably in the 80s or 90s. Uh, and the grandfather has a pivotal place in the, in the coming-of-age boy's story. And a lot of it uh, deals with his experience of anti-Semitism, of, of, of coming from another country during World War II as a Jew. And um, he, he said to the grandson, you know, you, you be a probe in the life of these people, <laughs> you know. So he's not passing along some nice, kind words. He's saying, you, you be a pain in the tush to them. Yeah. He was telling him his story, what, you know, and, and he was able to give that grandson something that that grandson in Queens could never have envisioned about the European experience. I I just think the more stories we can tell, and and you're right, the the whole media world today, there are good movies out on these kinds of subjects. Yeah. You know, sit and watch them with your kids. They're not not necessarily perfect movies. I mean, that movie came from a specific angle, but it's the idea of this story. Now, if if you were, I, I want to transition to talk about some of the dualities um, and paradoxes of aging, but that's going to go a little bit more towards some of our older listeners, but I want to stay with the young people for one last moment here. If I was a young person and I was- school- And you were once, yeah, so was I. If I was, yeah. And I could, I, I just don't know where to start, Hal. Uh, maybe I'm not in church. It's a great possibility the listener right now is not in a church maybe not churched or maybe walked away from church for any host of reasons, but say they're not, where could they start? Hell, they might look at all these steeples or go online. The kids are going to go online on their phone and pick out the top 10 churches in 10 miles. And where do they start? How do they, they might not know somebody who goes to church. It might have to start with a search on a phone or how could they find this breath of life that could come to them from some wiser, older people? That's a great question, Bob. The first thing that comes to my mind is pray about, ask God to direct you. Do you believe that there is a being out there, we call him God, who really cares about us? I think so many young people grow up and they don't know that there's a God who cares. They're called the nuns. Yeah. Well, that's a lot of older people as well who are finished with it, but but they are nuns. They don't have any spiritual bearing. But I do believe that God, if you're listening to me out there, I'm just going to tell you, God cares about you. Jesus is more than a historical figure and a teacher. He is the Savior. 
He's, he's from heaven, and his father cares about you, and he loves you. And I would just say follow that thought and say, God, if you're out there and you care about me, will you help me in some way to discover the next steps in following and then you could use your media to engage a number of questions or whatever. The second thing I would say is you think about your life and your meaning. Do you know of anybody out there who's older or somebody you admire that you could go to? It could be a family member. It could be a relative. It could be an uncle, an aunt. It could be a neighbor who lived down the street. It could be a school teacher you had. Could you go to, is there somebody who comes to your mind and say, would you tell me your story about how you came to faith and or what God means to you. My sense is that you would know somebody like that. You may have kind of disdained them or not had any affection towards them or whatever, didn't care for them, but you saw their lives and you saw that they had some sense of, I would call divine meaning in their lives. They had a purpose. They had a goal. They weren't as afraid. They were confident or that they just trusted in God. Go to them and say, you know, I'd love to hear your story. I think God would teach you and open the eyes of your heart in some way towards next steps. And the other thing I believe about God, I do believe he leads step by step, step by step, step by step. So follow the steps that are right in front of you, the ways, I mean, the open doors, the open window, as you seek meaning, walk through them and then I think there'll be more things as you walk through that. It's kind of like C.S. Lewis in the, uh, the Narnia Chronicles. You go through that wardrobe and you step out into a whole new world and something unique opens up that you never knew existed. So follow the instincts of your heart, you might say, the instincts of your faith. And I believe God will lead you. So I hope that encourages. And if you're listening to me, I hope you take those steps you know, and God, watch God work. God gave me something profound the other day, and it's it's so probably profound for me and passe for everybody else, but he said, sometimes your soul has to direct your souls. And sometimes oh, that's good. your soul has to go before your soul. It, it could be one or the other, but do one of the two. Yes. You know? um, one last thing on young people, along the lines of the particular advice you just gave them, what if they have really rejected faith completely? How could they possibly break through their prejudice toward God? You know, that's that's a good question. Uh, my, my first thought is, literally, this first thought that came to me. How many of us as older people, older people who have followed Christ all of our lives, are leaning into young people that we know who have rejected God and who reject faith, and are we praying for them and are we pursuing them? For example, I just heard of a church this weekend where the challenge was given. Would you pray for a non-Christian every day for the next year, 365 days? Will you pray for that person by name and watch if God does anything? So in all of our lives, we know younger people. They may be some in our family. They may be our own sons and daughters or grandsons, or they have rejected God. They have rejected Jesus, and they want no part in the spiritual life at all. So would we lean in and begin to pray for them that God would work and open up their eyes. I mean, they don't need to hear these prayers. <laughs> they don't even know we're praying for them. But, uh, you know, let, let's say how many million 
followers of Christ are out there in our latter years, if we all prayed for five younger people to come to faith in Christ in some way, what difference might that make? So it's not a matter of sending a message to young people and saying, here's what you need to do to believe. But my first thought, it really is, can an older generation lean in and love those people and even take that further, not just pray for them, but do you know a younger person who has rejected God that you could invite over for dinner? Mm-hmm. Take them out to lunch. There's a there's a movie out um, that uh, was produced, and it was called The Jesus Revolution, where the era was the 60s and 70s when people grew their hair long, they were swimming around naked up at Wood, Woodstock, Woodstock, and the old people older people, even middle-aged people, couldn't understand this generation. They looked a little funny. Their hair was long. Their beards were long. The girls were wearing things that opened the eyes of their dads, like, what are you doing out there? Um, There were these drugs that the parents had never heard of. And there were an opening where older people started accepting them. And then they came in droves. It was called the Jesus Revolution. Of course, that's, you know, a half century ago. Today, we see gender issues really wild generation generational differences in gender 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 issues um tattoos uh, body piercings we we see vast cultural differences in music and even the uh, rhythms of music the looks the haircuts the so many different things that could actually feel like it was an impediment to reaching these people that who might be younger than the people you just spoke to that doesn't really matter prayer ascends above all these superficial, not that they're superficial in that there might be issues, but prayer transcends all of that. Well, and so do personal relationships. You know, here's the verse, the most famous verse in the Bible, many people say, is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So God sent his son from heaven into the world in a human body so that we would see what God looks like. You know, in John 14, uh, Philip says to Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So what could younger people who have rejected faith and have thoroughly identified against the church and with the world, what could we do to reach them? Well, build a friendship with them, just like God did with us. Why would we think of doing anything different Instead of just railing against all the changes and, that are happening and, out and there. And the young people, you don't feel if, if it was genuine enough, you don't think they'd be sniffing out, hey, you're trying to convert me. I, you know, that they might. I, I don't think they would because, you know, the best thing a person— Genuineness is genuineness. It, it is. And people know—it's like the old thing. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. Yeah. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. You, you know, and I just think if you love people— yeah, people are going to reject you just like they rejected Jesus. But that doesn't mean you stop coming. That doesn't mean you stop loving. That doesn't mean you stop caring. And you st- you continue to enter into the world. When when parents talk to me or grandparents talk to me about how do they reach their kids who have gone AWOL, you know, spiritually or whatever, and how do we reach that part of the world? Well, part of the answer is literally love them. Well, Take Jesus, care. you know, the, the, everything is made of this rich young ruler. Of course, we have some political issues floating around that that, that steer us into that scripture, uh, that the rich young ruler rejects Christ. But in that scripture, it says that he loved that boy. Yes. He loved him. He loved this spoiled rich kid. And so did the— uh, Greatly loved him is the, is the context— yeah, the father who lost his son who wanted to take his earnings and go. 
the father never stopped loving that son. Yeah. And now let's turn a corner here, Hal. Um, you and I were speaking about the romanticism that could be attributed to your ministry or mine, our thought processes, our, our, our feelings, our th- philosophies regarding aging uh, being a pivotal season in life, uh, one of tremendous, tremendous opportunity. And someone could say, gee, that's a kind of romantic view. Uh, you don't know what my mom's going through. You don't know what I'm going through. Uh, you, you and I, you as a pastor, me being in the health field, we have seen both sides of the aging field, neither one of us would look another person in the eye and Pollyanna the aging years. You, you and I just wouldn't do it. We, we can't do it because so much of the fiber of what we've seen in life is we've seen both sides. To get a little transparent here, I shared with you that uh, there's been a lot of avalanche of physical and uh, pain and suffering in my life that I won't necessarily go into, but it's been an avalanche from many different corners of my life, family, friends, etc. So as you've moved into finishing well, helping seniors and, and other people learn about the value of this, this season, the older years, and myself also, what, what can we say about this almost paradoxical or collaborative work of God of opportunity in the senior years and suffering? I want to say a couple of things. First of all, just reciting the challenges that are before us, are we preparing for them? You know, I think when somebody goes into the military, what do they do? The first thing they do, they send them off to boot camp. And they spend six weeks there going through the rigors of anticipating the harshness of war and the requirements that you will need to have personally physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, to prepare for that. When they go off to boot camp, you just said what they have to look forward to, what they're being trained for. Or whatever. How, what is that boy or girl going off to boot camp leaving behind? What, What is the military saying you have to leave behind? You leave your family. You leave your comforts. You, your, you leave your pleasures. All that you enjoyed or thought life was made of now is turned 180 degrees towards a specific objective, and all the disciplines go that That's way. That's a little shocking. Well, it is. How does that relate to aging? Well, I think— In preparing. And l- let me tell you, for a person who's diagnosed with cancer, and you're just zipping along life day by day, and all of a sudden you go to the doctor because you have a pain, and they tell you something. I had a staff member who was years ago in our church— uh, he wasn't feeling well, and he went to the doctor. And I went to the hospital that afternoon to see him, and I walked into his room, and he he shocked me and shocked himself with the story that the doctor had just told him he had pancreatic cancer. Well, it changed everything. You know, he never came back to church a day after that. He left the church. He It was so radically changing, changing for him. He just sent, focused his whole life on the last days, and I think he lived another four months. He had a significant case. But anyways, I mean, the aging years are not anything to be trifled with or to be romanticized in a sense, and that is not to be cruel. I mean, the fact is we're all going to die from something. We may die in our sleep. We may die from aging. We may die, I mean, however. So this is why the denial creeps in as yes. to why people don't want to prepare. Yes. and That doesn't we, help anything. No, it doesn't. What does denial do 
to finishing well. Well, it makes it hard to embrace what God, I mean, as a Christian, makes us challenged in what, how we think about those years. Uh, but even a guy like Norman Cousins, who wrote the classic book, Anatomy of an Illness, and you know he spent his last years preparing for that, watching movies, the comedies, things he wrote. I mean, I think God expects us, I mean, we would all expect this from anybody if you're anticipating something. If you're, in, if you're an athlete and you're going to the NFL or the NBA or going to college, playing a sport, you prepare. If you go into a company, you're prepared. Uh, you, you have a family. You want to learn everything. I mean, we're always preparing for something next. But the trouble with what you're saying is, and I'm not challenging what you're saying is true, but what I, the trouble with a younger person or a middle-aged person thinking about this preparation is if you're going in NFL, you've got a shot at the Super Bowl. If you're going into a family, you've got a shot at kids and grandkids and the romance of married life. And if you're going into a career, you have a chance to make a discovery that'll change the world. If you're going into your senior years to prepare, the morbidity angle of that might stifle your desire to prepare for the boot camp of the senior years. A couple things again. I think of Johnny Erickson Tata, who has lived now for how many decades as a quadriplegic? Six or seven decades, yeah. I think her accident happened, she and I are the same age, and her accident happened, she was either 16 or 17, I forget. Mm -hmm. Uh, Who would not listen to her story and be moved to grow through it? Admire her and say, I want to be like that if that happens to me, because she has demonstrated an utter dependence and her faith in God has only grown deeper and deeper and deeper in spite of the pain, in spite of the hardship, in spite of all the challenges. And it's getting worse. She has admitted that 10 years ago. She said, I'm entering my senior years and everything from being dressed and bathed and she, she can't move. She has to be taken care of. And now... She said, now I've got the aging issues on top of my paraplegic so issues. So the, the thing for me is how much can we learn from people like that and prepare for those years, even ourselves, by learning from people ahead of us and around us? Now, personal example, my father died when I was 21. I watched him die from cancer. So I think to myself, how, if that ever happens to me, am I going to live those years like my dad lived them? I watched my mom die at 96. I don't know. I'm 73 now, almost 74. I asked myself, how will I die like my mom died? Well, I died trusting God. And, and she taught me an awful lot in her final years. She lived in Pennsylvania, so I had to, I, I, I not had to, I traveled up there as much as I could just to be with her. And those years were so impactful for me. But then the other, so there's a lot that we can learn during these years that we've never had the chance to learn. They may not be good years as we think of our 60s and 70s and the comforts we all have. Life changes, but God means for me to learn from them. So then the final thing is heaven. You know, our citizenship as Christians is heaven. (laughs) For our citizenship, Paul says, is in heaven, not here. But the reason why I'm saying, um, you know, if you prepare for the NFL, you've got a shot at, you know, great contract. You got something to look forward to, uh, fame, fortune, whatever. But if you're looking forward to death, you're talking about looking forward to our, our new citizenship. A lot of people just can't get past that. And we have the greatest holiday in Christianity is Easter. Yes. And every morning, I'm an early riser. I just I love, I'm, the, I'm the same I, way. I love the sunrise. So when that sun comes up, it's a new day. And of course, it makes me think of my death. 
I see that sun come up and I say, someday, you know, I'm going to be in a new place. But a lot of people can't get past the death to get to the resurrection. As a pastor, you've seen, you've been with people who have died. You've visited them in the hospital. You've seen their last I've held their hands if they've taken their last breath. Can you help people get past the the morbidity issue to the sunrise? I can, but here's the catch, Bob. Do I take Jesus at face value for who he is and why he came and what he wanted me to learn? Luke 640, no pupil is above his teacher, but every pupil after he has been carefully trained will be like his teacher. If I ask you a question, what did Jesus anticipate in his life? Well, that's a profound question. What did he anticipate when he left heaven to come to earth? He anticipated showing his father's love. What did he anticipate when he called his disciples, when he preached, when he healed? He anticipated people following him and becoming like him. What did he anticipate when he died on the cross? He anticipated not only the payment for our sins, but he anticipated the resurrection three days later. What did he anticipate when he told his disciples, don't, don't be troubled, I'm going to leave you in my father's house or many mansions. If, if it weren't true, I would have told you. I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come back and take you to myself. Now, do we, Face value. Do we, do we ignore that passage? I actually went over that passage with my son yesterday, who's 40. We were talking about that passage, and his name is Jonathan. I said, Jonathan, you know, there's nothing I anticipate more than going to be with Jesus. So how often do we talk about that? I asked people, you know, we had this these seven essentials. And the last one is anticipating eternity where I will be with Christ. You know, as a pastor, I'd ask myself, how many sermons on heaven did I ever preach? How much did I talk about? How much did I prepare people for it? I think those are the things you prepare for. And it has to do with all the things aging people ought to be in school to learn. You know, the, we should be Easter seniors. You're right. When Robert Browning says in his classic poem, the first stanza only, grow old with me, the best is yet to be. Is that a romantic statement? I mean, if you take it in terms of comfort, it is. But I don't think Browning meant it that way. You know, I think he meant that ultimately, like Paul said in Philippians 121, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We are on a journey in this life, and we need to pay attention to every step of that journey because God is working his will out in our lives through every age we go through. Uh, It's like Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what are the works an aging person ought to experience? How he ought to walk, how he ought to live, how she functions. And I think Jesus calls us to follow him in this stage of life, which is hard. So we're Easter seniors. Yes, we are. You know, the Scots call it the thin places. Um, Brother Lawrence uh, called it the presence of God. Um, uh, I call it the portals to heaven. These, these just moment by moment, we're 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 in we're in, in these earthly shoes, but we're kind of in heaven at the same time. It's, it sounds too mystical. Uh, Dallas Willard said uh, he, he felt that when he, he, he's uh, passed on now, but he he said that uh, when he died, there's a possibility he might not recognize that he had died. Because he was so in, in the spirit here. Yes. If 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 seniors could actually get past the morbidity thing into those realities, perhaps they could transition into the courage of embracing 
this season in life. Yeah, and, and I and I would use that word with a capital C. There's a courage to facing something that perhaps, like the boot camp, you know, why are you going off to war? Well, you, you might have enlisted. If you've enlisted, it's, of course, it's a big thing versus being drafted, right? But if you enlist it, you, you, you're kind of saying, it's a courageous step. I'm leaving my hometown. I'm leaving my bedroom. I, I'm leaving maybe mom and dad. Uh, there's a conflict. That, there's a shot I might have transferred to a, a very war-torn area with snipers and, and dangerous things. And I might lose my life. And I might lose my life. So I say C with a capital, courage with a capital C for an Easter senior to embrace where they're going. And again, maybe their soul has to be ahead of their souls or their soul just has to be ahead of their soul. But somehow this message of the Easter senior needs to needs to be preached. It does. And I go back to Jesus' life. I'm thinking of John 11 at Lazarus' death. Remember when Jesus said to Mary Martha, he who lives and believes in me will what? Never die. I mean, death is, death is a door for the Christian. It is, yes, it is a separation from this world to the eternal world, but it is a door through which I will enter eternity in a way that I've never experienced it before. I feel that, uh, you know, for what it's worth, I feel, I, as you know, I write portals to heaven and portals is, is these openings in, in the moment by moment. And I think Dallas Willard was probably right when he said uh, he wasn't going to know exactly when he died because he was kind of already there. Perhaps we could look at it and this, this could be a little romantic, but I think it's a good analogy that the door with the light behind it, which we could say is heaven, is, is cracking open more and more for those who have that courage to be the Easter senior. Exactly right. You know, how, uh, how can they get in touch with your organization well they can call you but <laughs> you're, you're you're we god has brought us together and by the way i from different parts of the country yes i, I here I, we are in dallas I texas celebrate that and and all of these discussions we, we serve and, and love a sovereign god who enters our lives with us at every age and he's constantly ahead of us i mean he saw you and me doing this podcast i mean before we ever knew each other it's just amazing. But having said that, yes, you can contact us at finishingwellministries.org. Uh, you can contact me personally. You can write me at hal at finishingwellministries.org. Go to our website, tie into our stuff. We have a, a core curriculum called The Seven Essentials for Living Well and Finishing Well, where we really delve into this curriculum that older people ought to keep in front of them, which is all throughout the scriptures from Genesis 1 through Revelation 22. And if you're a younger person listening today, and you might have a parent or grandparent, great-grandparent, uh, I would encourage you to steer them into it. If you happen to be an older person, I would uh, encourage you to jump into this. And one of the great things uh, that we've talked about is the irony that Hal is using the young person's game, technology, to get his ministry out there. There. Hal, one thing that's uh, fantastic is that you have resources online. So it's no longer like it used to be. They'd have to call you up. Can you travel 1,200 miles and come speak to our church? They can get this immediately. They can. Uh, of course, they can invite you to come speak as you're, as you're able. And there's nothing like in person. I'll tell them that right now because you're a man among men. But 
they can get these resources right online and lead small groups or bigger groups right in their own church or uh, organization or senior club or whatever. I'll tell you a simple story. There's In Florida, there's a man by the name of Paul Dillo. He's 79. He saw our information on the web, and he calls me. Actually, he sent me an email, and he gave his phone number. He said, I'd like to talk to you. So the email came in, and I called him in f- within five minutes of having read that. Paul Dillo is passionate about wanting to finish well, and he's a pastor who deals with older people. And he, he says, "How I want to take your message to every church that I know in Florida. Can I do that? Anyways, here's Paul Dillo, and I could reel off That's electronics. Names. Yes. So if you're out there and you hear this and you have a, a something, the Spirit's drawing you, I want to equip you. I want to encourage you. I want to help you to take this message to your church, to the seniors in your congregation, to the seniors in your community, and make a difference for Christ during these latter years. And I want to finish up with one thing, because you just mentioned churches and, and taking it to seniors. You mentioned that there's a, a church, and, and people are not going to be familiar with cowboy churches, but um, I, I am because I actually did some recording down in Nashville and there's a guy who you know goes in out there with the music and all that but just tell us um, because there's there's some people that might be listening to and it might be a small percentage but as churches have aged out in other words some young pastor started at 30 years old he was fired up he came out of Bible college now it's 30 40 years later he's retiring his church services may have a little older music you know from maybe 10 20 30 years ago and he's not getting the young people in his church. Or, conversely, he, he handed it off to a younger person and says, i got to reach young people with young families. we got to fill up the nurseries so we get this church going again. So it could be one or, one or two of those circumstances. Is there a place for the aging senior in, in, a, in a church today? <laughs> and is well, there, are there going to be are there going to be churches popping up that are I hope it, so like your your millennial churches and and the churches for the twenty somethings is there going to start being churches that are geared starting up I'm not talking about ones that are in existence geared toward say fifty five plus I hope so you know the thought I have the Asbury uh, revival is going on right now and I've started to think about older people and revival. Could God work through us as older people to bring revival? Everybody thinks of young people's yeah, revival. I, I just say, anyways, we're, we're part of this church here in Dallas called Highland Country Fellowship. And it's a church filled with older people who are catching a fresh vision for who God is, what he wants them to do in our life. And the young people are going to come in through the back door. You know, so it's it's the reverse focus mm. of a millennial church. That's profound. <laughs> yeah, it really is. But God's blessing them, and I, I, I would pray that that happens all over. So, if there are some maybe older saints who are fifties and sixties, and or and and they feel like you know maybe I've worn out my pastoral authority mantle, maybe they haven't. Maybe maybe there's a new place for the older pastor to uh, minister to his own. So here's not uh, not to be um, not to segment. Uh, older believers, younger people, but you know, let's let's be honest about worship. Worship tends to sometimes be divisive. You know, you got to play contemporary music. Some of the older people don't want to. There's nothing wrong with people uh, feeling comfortable in their shoes with going to one church versus another. I'll close with two biblical examples. Paul in Philippians three from jail is saying, I want to press on to what's next in my life. So as an older pastor, as an older congregation, as an older person, you ask yourself, what does God have for me next? He, he wants to give us new frontiers in our aging years. The last illustration is how old was John when he wrote his gospel? He was in his 80s, and he wrote Revelation in his early 90s. So 
Does God have a mission for older people? Can churches be quickened and alive more now in the aging years than ever before? Only if you say no to the cultural idea of retirement and follow Jesus. So, Bob, let's keep pressing on. Let's every see, way let's we see what happens. Maybe the next time we talk, there'll be a, a slew of churches for the 50 to 80-year-olds. I don't know. Uh, we're talking with uh, Hal Habecker, who is the uh, founder and director of uh, Finishing Well Ministries, and one more time where they can uh, get your resources. At finishingwellministries.org. And we're there to serve you and equip you and encourage you every way. God bless you. Thank you, Hal. And that was part two of the two-part series with Dr. Hal Hebecker. What an amazing conversation. And thank you so much for tuning in right here to The Age Sage. For more episodes, you can check them all out on any major podcast platform. It's The Age Sage with the senior editor, Robert J. LaCosta.